Labor Day is right around the corner, so we're taking stock of the 2020 growing season here in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. We're revisiting with two prior guests to see how their growing seasons have gone thus far and their expectations for the coming harvest. Welcome to the Young Farmer Podcast. I'm Chris Torres. Thanks for listening. Today we revisit with Brian Harnish of Peckway, Pennsylvania and Carl Schlegel of Waldorf, Maryland. I interviewed them in separate podcasts in the spring, and I called them late last week to see how their crops are looking this far. Brian took a break from hemp this season while the COVID-19 pandemic led to a great year for Carl. I'm not going to spoil anything more for you. I'll let you listen for yourself. First off is Brian Harnish, who's in the middle of some of his high-value fruits and is a few weeks away from getting the combine in the field. Okay, Brian Harnish, Peckway, PA. How you doing? Doing well, thanks. So first off, before we talk about how your crops are doing and, and how you've gotten through the growing season, strange year for all of us. How are, how are you and your family doing? Uh, we're doing well, uh, enjoying uh, life with less things to do, less activities. We're actually spending more time together than we normally do. So in that regard, it's going great. <laughs> That's cool. Um, have you guys done anything in, in terms of that? I mean, have you guys done anything fun this summer or, or anything, you know, spending time more time together? What have you guys been doing? Yeah, I got an extra vacation last weekend in the mountains. Uh, I went to the beach. Uh, kids are helping more on the farm since they've got less sports and school activities. So, yeah, it's been really good. Are they going back to school? Uh, they are. Uh, we're in Penn Manor. They go back uh, on a part-time basis a couple days a week, and then the rest of the week is virtual. So you're going to help out with the virtual learning? Uh, probably my wife will take care of that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so the last time I talked to you, Brian, we were um, we were talking about your background. We talked about the business itself. Um, but this time I want to check in and, uh, and talk to you a little bit about how the growing season is going. Um, okay. can you go ahead for the listeners and, and sort of, you know, we've talked about this before, but, uh, the acres you farm and how you split that up. Yeah. I mean, we farm about 600 acres, uh, row crops, corn, wheat, soybeans, and then 50 acres of pumpkins. Uh, we do about four acres of watermelons in the summer and then 20 acres of tobacco. Okay. So it's a good mix. Uh, I get some migrant workers in now. They come in July uh, and go home February 1st. So we set up our growing season sort of around that, where they come in July. They start with the watermelon harvest and the tobacco harvest, pumpkin harvest, and then they help strip the tobacco uh, in the winter. So we're right in the uh, busy part of our season right now, finishing up watermelons and tobacco. And then next week, we start on the pumpkin harvest. Corn, soybeans, and wheat, and how do you split up that acreage? Uh, I think I'm usually about two-thirds uh, corn and uh, maybe a third wheat, soybeans. Do you shell all your corn then, or do you actually do anything for silage? We do. All our corn shelled. Uh, we have grain bins here. We dry the corn and then haul it to the feed mills over the winter and spring. Okay. How's your corn looking thus far? Uh, it looks good. I'd say it's a good year. It's not a great year. Um, we were really dry uh, first half of July, I would say. So the, that knocked a few bushels off the top end of the yield for the corn. But it's still going to be a good crop. Not not last year, but it's going to be good. Can you venture to say how many bushels you're going to be getting per acre? I mean, have you gone out and actually done expect, any checks? Yeah, I mean, I did some yield checks last week. I would expect we'll come in right around 200 bushel per acre average. 
which would be maybe 10% off of last year, which was a record crop for us. So cool. How about your beans? Uh, beans, they're hard to estimate, but they look good so far. Double crop beans after wheat look excellent. We've got enough rain here, uh, second half of July and first of, uh, August. So they're looking really, really nice. How about your wheat? There were a lot of guys in the area that actually got really good wheat yields. Um, how did your wheat yep. look? We saw the same. We averaged over 100 bushel wheat. Uh, quality was excellent. It was just a really, really good uh, year for wheat locally. Wow, over 100 bushels. Is that, I mean, compared to past years, how does that compare to past years? Uh, usually we're around that, anywhere from 85 to 100 is kind of usually what our yield would be in wheat. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was very good. Good stuff. Where does your wheat actually go? Uh, we're actually hauling it right now to Snavely's Feed Mill in Lidditz, or flour, uh, flour Mill, I should say. So your migrant workers came in July. I mean, did you have, I know that there was there was some talk, uh, especially in the spring of, uh, you know, uh, especially the H-2A workers and all that, and, and some, some trouble getting those H-2A workers into the country. Um, where do you get your migrant workers from, and did you have any trouble, you know, recruiting migrant workers this year because of the pandemic? Yeah, so our guys come from Nicaragua, and we get the same guys every year. Uh, so they're already pre-selected to come here. But there were uh, significant challenges getting them here. There was delays at the embassy in Nicaragua, uh, processing, visa processing delays. So they were delayed a little bit through that. And then commercial airlines, of course, weren't even flying uh, over that time period. So. We ended up getting our guys on a repatriation flight coming out of Nicaragua, which was a special flight scheduled every two weeks for Americans that are stuck in Nicaragua because of the travel ban. So, yeah, we had to definitely pull some strings to get them here, uh, but we did. They were about three weeks late, um, but but we got them. So it all worked out in the end. So three weeks late. So how did you, how did that affect your scheduling? With them being three um, weeks late. Well, we just did more, you know, we just relied more on local labor there for the first couple weeks mm-hmm. in July. Interesting. So we made it work. And you guys do a really good pumpkin crop there. Uh, pumpkins are a big yeah. thing for you guys. How's that looking? They are. Uh, so they look, I would say, good to excellent this year. <clears throat> We're going to start the harvest next week. Um, as far as demand, I mean, nobody really knows how it's going to be this fall with all the restrictions, the COVID-19 restrictions and things. But I think it might be pretty good. I think people are going to want to get out of the house and go, uh, go buy a pumpkin. Got to do something and try to get back to some sort of normalcy, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's kind of what we're thinking. You know, um, last year I followed you, um, pretty much all summer and, uh, and you and your brother were actually experimenting with some, with some hemp. And, uh, last time I, I came there, um, which was, I think it was last fall, no, 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 actually, no, it wasn't last fall. Excuse me. It was actually, um, we did the podcast, actually. Um, and I think that was in the winter, maybe, um, the last time I came there. And uh, and we were talking a little bit about the hemp. But um, did you guys end up putting another crop in the ground this year? How did that go for you? No, we did not. We didn't grow it this year. Uh, it's a bad time of year for us. We're so busy in the fall with everything else. So uh, that combined with the market, I mean, the, the market for the oil and things just really tanked. And uh, we actually still have some of our crop here from last year that's not sold yet. So there's a lot of uh, infrastructure issues in that industry right now. And um, we decided to stop growing it, uh, at least for now. Not saying we wouldn't do it again, but um, 
it didn't end up the greatest last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you guys still had some crop left over. I know you had guys had some had some issues with uh, your buyer and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Now your brother was really your brother was really the 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 guy who was really the lead on that. Am I correct? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Okay. Um, so, so have you guys talked about, um, you know, would there be a possibility maybe in the future of maybe, you know, if not, if not doing the CBD or whatever, of, of possibly going into the, into the, into the fiber side for hemp or, or, you know, have you guys even, are you guys no, just, I don't think we would, I think if we were going to do anything, it would maybe be the dry flower or the CBD okay. market. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. kind of how we're set up. So, uh, so what are you doing to get ready for the big harvest? I know that you know corn and soybeans will be coming up before you know it, and uh, so what do you? I, I know you're you're probably a little bit too busy to be thinking about it, but um, you know what do you do in terms of in terms of getting ready for to, getting ready to get the combines out there and uh, and get really moving on what's going to be your your busiest time of year? Yeah, so all our equipment, uh, we do preventative maintenance on ahead of time. Look everything over, make sure it's ready to go. Try to limit any type of breakdowns during the harvest season. Uh, and most of that's done already uh, a little bit more to do. And we will probably head to the cornfields, maybe third week in September, something like that to start that harvest. Um, but we might like to make sure everything's ready. Everything's ready to go when the time comes. Cool. How many hours are you going to put in? Uh, in the fall, it's probably 70 or 80, uh, <laughs> for that fall season. Wow. Yep. So your wife's never going to see you. Uh, she will a little bit, but not as much as she would like, I suppose. <laughs> and you also do a little bit of, and you also do a little bit of, uh, I think you coach your wrestling team, right? Don't you, don't you, aren't you assistant coach in the wrestling we team? We do. Yeah. I help with the elementary wrestling program at Penn Manor and our season at this point, uh, still in limbo. We're not sure if we're going to be able to have a season or what's going on there. So mm-hmm. everything's up in the air right now. I think that's pretty much for everybody else. Everything's up in the air. My kids are going back to school, but, uh, you know, I mean, you never know when school's going to be shut down again and all that. So it's like, yeah, it's dealing with the new normal, man. All right, Brian. Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate the time today. Yep. You bet. Take care, Chris. Thank you. When I talked in the spring to Carl Schlegel, he was in the middle of strawberry season. How did it pan out? Well, here's what he had to say. All right, Carl. Hey, how you doing today? I'm good, man. How are you? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. Last time we talked, you were in the middle of strawberry season, and uh, it was actually a busier season than normal this year. Can you tell me how that panned out? Um, honestly, it, it was probably the best strawberry season we've ever had. It was the best strawberry season we've ever had. Um, all the concerns leading into it of where were people going to come out and pick, where are we going to be able to sell our crop, um, we very quickly realized that it was going to be a non-issue, even though we lost the wholesale numbers that we're used to um, because of the pandemic and because of the general um, being cooped up in the house. By the time month of May rolled around, people were ready to come out in dribs and droves. And uh, being as close as we are to Washington, D.C. and Northern Virginia, we had record numbers of people, record numbers of pickers, and uh, the weather was just as perfect as you could ha- want to have for a strawberry season. You know, I should have I should have asked you this right off the top, but can you, for for listeners who didn't listen listen into the last podcast, can you sort of just briefly go over um, how many acres you farm and some of the crops that you actually farm? Sure, um, I'm Carl Slagle, Slagle Farms. We're a multi generational farm. Uh, myself and my two brothers are here full time on the farm, but mom and dad are still the current uh, owners, stewards, uh, chief butt kickers on the farm. Uh, we are diversified, but our bread and butter is fruit and vegetables. Um, all to go, all together this year, we'll probably have 140 acres in the ground. 
uh, and then rented land and grain land. We still do about eh, three to 400 acres, depending upon the year. Everything from soy to corn to um, a little bit of milo for more roughage hay, as well as um, pleasure horse hay. We do raise uh, probably about 20 acres of alfalfa all together right now. That goes primarily to pleasure horses people. Um, in addition to that, we still run a small herd of cattle, a handful of hogs. We've got laying chickens for our farmer's markets. Uh, we do a, probably a couple hundred broiler birds through the course of the year, and then I raise turkeys for Thanksgiving. Okay, where do your corn and soybeans go? Where do you market your corn and soybeans? Uh, it's all animal feed. Well, let, let's go back because, you know, when I talked to you, that was right at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic in this region. And, you know, right, right at that time, I talked to you and somebody else from Maryland. But, you know, just out of curiosity, how did you handle all the crowds? I mean, how were you able to, to – did you make any big changes to, to the operation to handle those crowds? You know, we've done a little bit of everything. And I think our overall mantra has been this year of, one, we have to be willing to do things that we've never done before – and look at problems outside of the box. You know, a common phrase is you cannot do things like it's 2019. Um, we've got multiple farmers markets that are completely online order based. And um, I mean, the one market we do in Northern Virginia, we've been doing completely online ordering for 23 weeks now. It, it, wow. I can't even believe it's been that long. Um, at home, my wife and I operate a, a CSA buyers club kind of private farmers market. That has grown in leaps and bounds as people are looking for ways to not go to the grocery store. Um, we, through that, have offered a complete online order curbside delivery system where people literally pull up to the barn. We walk out. We put it in their car. Um, we thought that was going to be over in, in June. We're continuing to do that and offer that with, with regularity and a high percentage of our customers. That's the way they want to shop with us. Right. Um, the, the, the food security as well as the health security for them has been paramount. Sure, sure. No, I can definitely believe that. I know that when I go to farmers markets or I go to uh, to local places on the farm, and one stood out in Lancaster County recently um, to an on farm dairy, they still can't they still can't keep up with all the people coming in and actually buying the milk. I mean, they actually have to get milk from another farm to uh, to to actually sell milk to their customers because they just can't keep up. They can't produce enough milk, and uh, you know it's, it's 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 tremendous. It it is tremendous. I know. I was talking to. Uh, one of my peers in my current lead class, I'm in lead class 11 here in Maryland. Um, and he's very optimistic that this is the next step. A consequence of COVID is this is the next step of the local food boom, that this is going to drive more people to want to go direct to farm, direct to farmers markets, cut out grocery stores and middlemen. Um, and there's a lot of positive signs saying that this is what could be. I mean, if you follow the news, they talk about Oh, canning supplies are hard to come by, and, and they're, they're record highs, and, and grains are cleaning out their closets and their garages and being able to sell their, their lids and jars on Craigslist for, for unseen prices. And Yeah, we, we've seen an increase of that um, in, on, on the little things. And people reaching out to us about, hey, I want to try this. You know, do you have this? And it's like, yeah, we've, we've, we've offered these items and these things for years, and you know, we're excited that you're excited about local food. So let me ask you a question. So how is this, I know it's still early, but how do you think that this affects your farm in, you know, I guess the short, long term and then in the long term? I mean, you must be thinking about this year was so great. And, you know, if, if, you, if you think that the trend long term is going to be more local, 
I mean, how how are you? How do you think your farm is going to adjust? We've made certain adjustments to the planting schedule already. I mean, when the snow's fine in January and February, Dad, my brothers, and I were kind of laying things out and looking at, you know, these are these are this is our planting schedule. This is what we need to do because, you know, for those that are familiar with row cropping, you know, corn and soybeans, it's you know, you've got target dates and that's what you want to hit, but with vegetables. Um, you don't just plant squash once. You don't just plant peppers once. It's it's consecutive sequential planting where, quite literally, I've planted yellow and green squash by seed in the greenhouse a dozen times this year. And I need to hit those dates every time. And basically, I need to turn seed to transplant into plastic in the field and, and hit it all over again because I don't want any planting gaps. Now, unfortunately, you can do everything right and if Mother Nature hasn't paid attention to you and she's given you a rainstorm that you didn't plan for and you can't get on the land, it messes things up. So you, you've got to be able to fudge the numbers, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so some things we were able to make adjustments on, but some things were already in process. Um, then the back end of the planting schedule, as we saw things going, we said, okay, we're, we've lost some wholesale business, so let's back numbers down on certain things, but let's increase other things. Um, so where we couldn't plant more potatoes for our retail customers necessarily, we were able to plant more sweet potatoes for our retail customers because we knew that was a hot, hot item. Um, this, this fall, as we've gone in here and we're planting our late brassicas now, um, we have added some things in different areas. You know, I can always sell kale to the grocery store. Mm -hmm. I can always sell collars to the grocery store, but I know I can sell more Swiss chard, um, more of the leaf lettuces at the farmer's market. So we've increased those numbers to take advantage of those retail dollars here late in the season. Now, do you have do you do any sort of agritourism or agritainment in the fall? We do, um, and we don't know what that looks like yet. That's, um, I mean, right off the bat, let's be honest. If you do pumpkin patch and field trips and hay rides, you've lost your field trip money. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, you're not going to have any schools come out, and that was we had a high percentage of schools that came out here. We brought. A lot of buses from Northern Virginia, uh, local buses, D.C. buses, and, you know, that lost revenue, it stinks. But I think more importantly is we've lost an opportunity to connect with the youth of those urban areas that they're not going to see this green space. They're not going to see these fields. They're not going to understand the concept of where their food comes from. Mm-hmm. And that's, 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 that's a loss. That's a, we're, all, we're all the poorer for that. Right. So we're all that. Where's all that crop going to go? I mean, if your pumpkin patch, you know, if you're going to have to severely cut back on the pumpkin patch, where are you going to sell that crop? Um, we've always had opportunities for wholesale, and I think pumpkins are still going to sell. People are still going to want jack o' lanterns, and we're betting on the fact that people are still going to want to come out and pick a pumpkin. Maybe more so than in a normal year. We're going to have to probably eliminate the hayride component, but what we've done is a field that we don't normally plant pumpkins in. That's closer to the highway. We have planted in pumpkins with the thought of we might just have to do drive up and, and walk into the field type service. Mm-hmm. You know, we have the ability to to adjust a little bit, and, and it's it's a bet we're taking, and we're hoping pans out for us. How about your field crops? How are your field crops looking this year? I know I know in a lot of a lot of areas, it's basically a mixed bag here in the northeast and mid Atlantic. Some farmers are doing really well, and then about a mile away, another farmer is not doing so great. I mean, how do your field crops look this year? Hay crops have been have been tremendous we've um we've gotten a lot of rain here um we're definitely on the higher end i know i was talking to a friend in baltimore county yesterday who said 
they were a drought up until about a week ago. Um, we, we have not had that problem. We, we've been inundated. We've had a lot of rain. We've had a lot of washouts in, in vegetable fields. But, um, you know, we've had enough rain that for the first time, the, the bean crop has stayed ahead of the deer damage, um, the hay crop the same way. So we're, we're getting the yields out of it. And hopefully we'll, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see good returns on it. I hope you see good returns, too. And it's good to talk with you, Carl. And I hope everything turns out real well. And I hope that, you know, even though even though we'll have major change, you'll have major changes this fall because of this pandemic. I hope everything turns out well for you. Well, that's all we can hope for. It, it's, you know, remember, it, it, we're, we're in the farm world. So there's always next year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Different kind of world, though, with <laughs> with this pandemic still around. Absolutely. Um but if anything, you know, being out in the public eye and being at farmers markets and talking with people, I think people are building relationships. And, you know, they're definitely with their own families and they're realizing those, those meal times are important. And we're seeing uh, in certain ways some of the older values, some of the things that we've always known are important, people are take, that people took for granted, maybe they're starting to realize how important those things are and, and, and cherishing those moments at the dinner table with with a meal that they made themselves as opposed to from McDonald's or Applebee's. And um, hopefully six months from now, a year from now, five years from now, they remember that and they cherish that and they say, I want to continue that. Hey, Carl, thanks a lot again. And uh, and it was good talking to you and good luck. Not a problem. Thank you very much. I got to get back out there. Have a great day. And best of luck to Brian Harnish, Carl Schlegel, and all farmers as the harvest season approaches. About to get in the full swing here in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. Let's hope for great weather, great yields, and above all else, a safe harvest season. I'm Chris Torres. Thanks for listening to the Young Farmer Podcast.